Indiana Republicans again debating the issue of marriage at this week's state convention. We'll have the latest on the platform fight. Plus, more women running for office than ever before. We talk with candidates on both sides of the aisle, and we ask state lawmakers about the school safety debate and the push to change state law after prosecutors say they can't charge the Noblesville shooter as an adult. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Good morning, I'm Dan Spieler. A lot to get to this week, including the Indiana reaction to the North Korea summit and another busy and controversial week for the president. Plus, Hoosier Republicans again dealing with the issue of marriage at their state convention this weekend. Matt Smith is here to start us off with all of this weekend's top stories. Matt? Dan, good morning. A busy weekend for Indiana Republicans holding their convention in Evansville, and it did not come without controversy. Delegates voting to keep language supporting marriage as between a man and a woman as the official party platform. All in favor of version two of the platform signify by saying aye. Aye! Republican leaders had proposed eliminating the man and woman reference, but by midweek decided to give delegates the option on Saturday after mounting pressure all week from social conservatives. They're moving away from, from family values. It's a slap in the face of values voters, and that group of people are the strongest group of voters who support Mike Pence and Donald Trump, who won 20 point, by 20 points in Indiana. Why move away from the national platform? My, why move away from them when we are a conservative state? The goal of the provision was to say that we support strong families as a Republican Party, and so long as a child's being raised in a loving and caring environment, and being raised to be a productive member of Indiana society, then we want to support that structure regardless of what it looks like. But at the same token, we obviously support marriage between a man and a woman. All right, the marriage language was added back in 2014 when Vice President Mike Pence was governor. The proposed change state party leaders had said came after testimony and hearings around the state. Another big focus of yesterday's convention for Republicans, Indiana's U.S. Senate race and the chance to replace Democratic Senator Joe Donnelly with Republican Mike Braun. Braun addressed the delegates in Evansville, introducing himself in part and telling state Republicans his main task is to win. Meantime, Donnelly was in Indianapolis Saturday participating in pride events, including the parade. I think it's important that we represent our entire state and that we represent all our brothers and sisters. And that's why I wanted to be here today. There's so many wonderful people who are at the parade. I want to let them know I support and, uh, and care about all of the people who live in our state. I'm running against Joe Donnelly, a guy that I think his record's out of step with that of most Hoosiers. And you can see by the enthusiasm in the room here, uh, it's the focal point of what Republicans are wanting to get accomplished. And uh, I feel real good about it. State Republicans also officially nominating an all-female statewide ticket this week, and that includes Secretary of State Connie Lawson, Treasurer Kelly Mitchell, and Auditor Tara Klutz. Before the convention, all three met with delegates during a statewide tour this past week, including here in Zionsville. I think women are going to go out and push the, push the button that says, you know what, this woman is qualified. She, you know, they're known for less drama, honestly, in the political circle right now. And so they just want people that will get it done. This is the second time in Indiana history all females represent the top of a statewide ticket. Also to new developments this past week in wake of the school shooting in Noblesville. 
Prosecutors announced they can't charge the 13-year-old accused that accused gunman as an adult because of his age and current state law. So that prompted House Speaker Brian Bosma to announce a review of state statutes, along with that same call from other lawmakers, as new details are revealed about that shooting. Court documents show the accused 13-year-old gunman used a 22 caliber handgun to shoot fellow classmate Ella Whistler seven times, along with teacher Jason Seaman. He also had in his possession a 45 caliber handgun and a knife. Prosecutors say if he were an adult, the teen would face 11 charges, including attempted murder. When you have something horrible like this happen, it gives you pause to go back and look at our statute. Hamilton County's prosecutor released a statement acknowledging many will be troubled when learning the 13-year-old could have only been waived into adult court if someone died or face other felony charges if he were 14. What I can tell you right now is we're going to deeply scrutinize them to decide if that's the right thing to do or not. The answer, though, won't be simple. Determining a magic number, a specific age, when dealing with kids, heinous crimes, and whether a prison cell is the best answer. And I know people will hate to think, you're going to try to rehabilitate somebody that just almost killed uh, my daughter, almost killed the teacher. But that is our job. When you have a very young child committing a very bad thing or a very bad act, it does create a big hole that would that it would be appropriate for the legislature to take a look and see if they can fill it with uh, rational justice. The options are seemingly endless. Whether lawmakers look to waive children into adult court at a younger age for certain crimes or expand the state's dual sentencing law. That allows some teens to continue serving time past the age of 18 if they're not deemed rehabilitated. When you've got kids um, making adult decisions by bringing a gun into school and using that gun, you know, there are real consequences for that. There need to be real consequences for that. Here we've got the line drawn, this, this child is 13, not 14, and that makes, that makes all the difference. And the question that I ask myself then is, what, what age is that the right age? All right, so in his announcement, House Speaker Brian Bosma said in part, quote, given the heinous acts that led to a teacher and student being seriously harmed, I do think it's important for us to take a thorough look at our criminal code and whether changes to the law are appropriate. Up next, Dan is back with the panel, the latest on North Korea, and we'll hear from Indiana Congressman Jim Banks next. Welcome back. Time now to bring in our panel, UND political science professor Dr. Laura Wilson, former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy, former communications director for the Indiana Senate Democrats Elise Schrock, and Indy Star columnist Tim Swearens. Let's talk about this GOP platform. Obviously, we're talking about a, a few words, really, that were going to be changed before they decided to leave this up to a, a vote of Republican delegates. Marriage has obviously been a, a big hot-button issue uh, in recent years in Indiana with RIFRA. How much does this discussion this year matter? How much do these platforms matter? I don't know if to the general voter the platforms matter a lot. Uh, Republican leadership hoped to change the language quietly without any kind of a fight. They didn't get that. Uh, it's going to a vote and uh, probably the, the loss is that is back in the conversation. What does this mean uh, for Indiana politics in 2018, having this conversation this year for Republicans? How do you view it from across the aisle? Well, I mean, obviously the governor wanted to try and, you know, make a change in the platform, but then you saw other major leaders in his party say, uh-uh, not going to fly. Speaker Bosma, so the they Attorney look, General. They look yeah. fractured. 
And it became a story because they weren't all on the same page. Where it may not have been as big a story. You think. Sure. What, what about the governor's position in this, Mike? He did put out a statement, a somewhat neutral statement. Well, uh, anytime publicly. any any party chairman who has the incumbent governor checks every word of the platform with the governor's office and has it approved before it sees the light of day. So even though the governor may be being somewhat benign in his statements, that has been thoroughly vetted by the governor's office, and it has the unofficial stamp of approval. Now, I tend to disagree with uh, Tim on this. I don't think the platform matters one hoot. I mean, after Saturday, it gets put on a shelf, and the candidates in the modern age take over the discussion, and you'll never hear about the platform again unless the Democrats, you know, bring it up and say, look what you guys did, you made a mess of things. And, Laura, that's kind of the reaction we heard from uh, one Republican. We're going to look at that here real quick. Craig Dunn from Howard County, uh, who wrote in this column on Howie politics, he wrote, quote, never in the history of Indiana Republican politics has so much been said by so many about so little. And in the Star, they wrote it up this way, under mounting pressure from social conservatives, Republican Party leaders are backing away from the platform proposal saying that the decision shows party leaders struggle to appease two different factions of the party. Yeah, it begs the question why this is even a topic, because I don't think voters even know, especially a state party platform, let alone the national party platform, I don't think that's the deciding factor for most voters. And so the fact that we are talking about it, well, now it's clearly an issue, because it could have probably just been swept under the rug otherwise. And it's pretty typical. You know, when you have one party rule, what do you do? You fight amongst each other because you have nobody else to fight. Right. It's, a, it's an issue because there are really two wings of the Republican Party in Indiana. There's the, the Mitch Daniels wing and there's the Mike Pence sure. wing. And, you know, two years ago we were wondering which wing would Eric Holcomb... He got that question <laughs> a lot. He, he, he yeah. did. And, and I yeah. think it's very clear that he's lining up with the Mitch Daniels wing of the party. Unfortunately, this fight isn't new, though, but uh, Mitch Daniels and Mike Pence were able to kind of keep things at bay within their party. This has taken a shift, I think. And I do think, um, despite what uh, Chairman Dunn said, I think um, when you say so little, I think this does mean a great deal to a lot of LGBT families within the Republican Party that are looking for this platform to include them. And, and even the topic of single parents in the platform. Sure. Uh, a lot of talk about inclusiveness uh, in the state GOP, which, by the way, is slating an all-female statewide ticket this year at the convention. A, a surge of women from both parties getting uh, on the ballot this election year here and across the country. State Republicans nominating that all-female ticket for just the second time in history. And on both sides of the aisle, more women are running in Indiana than in years past. In state legislative races, 59 women will appear on the November ballot. That's according to the Center for American Women and Politics. The most in recent history. We heard from some of the Republican candidates earlier this week. We also spoke with candidate Poonam Gill, who's running for state representative against House Speaker Brian Bosma. I think it's also important that little girls out there see that they can do anything and be anything. Again, she's running uh, in a very in a red district, a seat currently held by the House Speaker. But uh, bigger picture, what do you make of this surge in female candidates at the state, local, and national level? Well, I can say that women for a very long time have already been doing the work. I just think that now we are looking to actually be the decision maker. And I'm very um, excited to see candidates like Poonam Gill. Obviously, to take on the Speaker of the House is a is a very large feat, but she's out there doing it, and our party is out there to support her, especially as a woman of color. 
vastly underrepresented at the state house and beyond. Um, we are, you know, surrounding these candidates with all the support they need to right, make that's this run. An issue you've been working on, but that is a, a certainly a daunting race to start out first well, out of the gate against race, the House Speaker. And right? Even if she loses, she'll have a future in the Democratic Party. But I got to tell you, it was actually the Republicans who have led the way for decades on female candidates. Back in 1991, Dick Luger started the Luger series in public service for women. They have sent hundreds of women through that series. They've run for office at the local and state level or they've managed campaigns. And I think you're seeing the fruits of that now. Uh, just in New Mexico, we may have the first ever female Native American member of Congress coming out of New Mexico here this fall. So. A lot of progress for women. It's, it's obviously uh, fair and well-deserved, and they'll do well. And as we mentioned, three Republican women on the ticket this year as well on the statewide ticket in Indiana. Yeah, and especially in our executive offices, Indiana really has paved the way for having women's involvement. I think whether women are excited or upset, whatever it is motivating this year, it's great to see so many getting involved and running for office. Pretty much all the statewide offices except governor and attorney general at this point. Yes, and four Republican women in statewide office. Um, Meantime, this weekend as well, we're also talking about some of the big news nationally. President Trump in the midst of more tension over the issue of tariffs, something that could have an impact on the economy here in Indiana. The president's going to the G7 summit in Canada amidst a back and forth with the Canadian prime minister. Meantime, the upcoming North Korea summit, now just a couple of days away, the summit Tuesday in Singapore has been off again, on again. This week we spoke with Indiana Congressman Jim Banks about North Korea and about increased funding for our military. I'm the only Hoosier who serves on the House um, Armed Services Committee, and as we go through this annual process of passing our National Defense Authorization Act, uh, it weighs heavily upon us what's going on, not just in North Korea, but what, what we continue to do in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, the, the continued fight against ISIS um, in that part of the world, but also around the globe, our strategic um, competition with both China and Russia and the threats that both of the, those countries play in world stability. It's why this uh, president, President Trump, and this Congress have fought so hard for a substantial boost overall in military funding. All right, so you heard Congressman Banks there from Indiana. He's really been uh, one of these in Congress trying to thread the needle supporting the president, but also saying we need to be tough on Russia. And you got the president this week saying maybe Russia should rejoin uh, the G8 in the midst of all of this tension over tariffs, this back and forth with Canada and other allies as the president prepares for the North Korea summit this week. It's really hard to read what's going to come out of these summits. Um, hopeful, but let's keep our expectations in check. How do you view this uh, as a Democrat, some of this tension uh, with, with allies, with other leaders from around the world? Well, I think it's not just tension. It's just the fact that things change so rapidly. And um, that is, I think, a little unsettling for Hoosiers and for people across the nation. They're not sure which way things are going to go. There's a lot to gain, but there's also a lot to lose if this goes wrong. You talk about uh, a trade dispute with Canada. You, you could have an economic impact in the Midwest. Well, it's not just a dispute. It could be a trade war if, if it widens any further. I think President Trump gets mixed grades this week. He gets a lot of credit for bringing the Korean, North Koreans to the table, even if nothing gets accomplished. But, you know, the, the president's own economic council said these trade disputes are going to hurt Americans and they're going to hurt Hoosiers 
tremendously because of our heavy agriculture and manufacturing uh, reliance. What are you keeping your eye on as we prepare for this North Korea summit this week? Sure. Well, seeing if anything does happen, as Mike mentioned, just getting them to the table is good. Is it good enough? And especially in terms of the aluminum and the different tariffs that we have placed on the Midwest, will this have an impact on the ballot in November? Because, you know, Trump is we'll still right. running in a referendum where he's not no actually doubt. running. Yeah, also getting some Indiana reaction to one of the other big stories involving the president this past week. Uninviting the Philadelphia Eagles after many of their players decided they didn't want to come to the White House. All of this days after the NFL announced its new policy requiring players to either stand for the national anthem or stay in the locker room. It's been an ongoing controversy. We asked some Colts players about the league's new policy. I'm pretty sure when we come back for the season, we'll all, every 30, all 32 teams and players will have something that we do as an organization and represents you know, ourselves without trying to be disrespectful. Obviously, we'll do it as a team. Whatever we do next year, we'll get together and do it as a team. Um, as far as what God's doing, I mean, I think they're all speaking facts, and if that's how they feel, that's how they feel. All right, so there's the perspective of a couple of Colts players, but you get the feeling this feud between the president and the NFL players is something we're going to hear about a lot going into this fall, going into the football season, which, of course, comes right in the middle of this midterm uh, election. In fact, some reports this week the White House is strategically looking to score points on this issue in the fall. The president clearly believes that this plays to his base, that it plays in his favor. I think the, the feud with the Eagles was strange, and even many conservatives were pushing back on that, why that particular team. None of the players in the Eagles actually kneeled during they the anthem kneel. this past season. Um, so it was a little strange to pick on the Eagles of all NFL teams. And it's the biggest city in a swing state coming to 2020. Listen, I just think it's unfortunate that we can look at um, the freedom of speech and not think that we can just not agree on what that speech is. And we can take this a little bit further and actually address the issue for which it's being protested, which is unarmed black men who are in situations where they are um, killed um, at the hands of unchecked law enforcement officers who, who some don't have the de-escalation um, tactics that we'd some like to see. Some of the Eagles so, tried to highlight so, this you know, week, yeah. It would be great if we could get to the actual issue at hand, um, and then it would solve everything. Is this going to be an issue that continues to divide a lot of people in this yeah, country? Yeah, I, I, I think that was a big stretch. But um, I, I think politicians need to get out of sports. Unless there's an antitrust issue or something that really needs to be or legislated by Congress, you know, the whole idea of the president inviting champions to the White House, I'm not quite sure who started it, but why isn't the NCAA uh, lacrosse champions invited to the White House? How do, how do they decide who gets invited? It's silly. They should get out of the business. It's been a tradition, though, at the White House for, for many years it now. It has, and as an Alabama alum, I'll say, I know You've that you invited their team. Their team has been a few team. times now, yes. But, but it's usually it's an honor of the office, not the person. So you, right. you don't go right. whether or not you support or you vote for that person, whatever their partisanship is, it's the office itself. And so I think that's a little disappointing for Eagles fans. It, it shows where we are as a nation. Right. Things like the national anthem, things like going and being honored at the White House used to be things that brought us together. And now in 2018, those are things that we're fighting over. Uh, and, and I think we all lose. I think we all lose, we're on the left or the right, when we can't have things that bring us together and we say we're going to set aside our differences for a few minutes and recognize we're still Americans, there are things that unite us. And however you view that debate, it's probably also an issue that's crowding out some much more important conversations Absolutely. on other issues and topics as well. All right. 
We talked about how that might affect the midterms. Speaking of the midterms, what does the latest polling tell us about the race for Senate and Joe Donnelly's popularity here in Indiana? Some mixed news for Senator Donnelly on that front. We'll explain right after the break. Okay, here at the touchscreen now with Tim and Laura looking at some new numbers out this week from Morning Consult. They call this their midterm wave watcher. Uh, we're looking at sort of the generic ballot first. Right now, of all the people they polled across the country, 40% uh, say they want to see Democrats win in some of these competitive races, 35% Republicans. But we're watching Indiana specifically and some of the approval ratings here uh, for Senator Joe Donnelly right now. They've got a list of some of the vulnerable uh, incumbents, many of them Democrats. And, and let's kind of circle some of these numbers, guys, and talk about what we see here. Joe Donnelly with a 41% approval rating right now, 34% who disapprove. But Tim, you are also looking at this number right here, that just 31% of Hoosiers say he deserves re-election. Only 31% say he deserves re-election, and 44% say it's time for a new person. So that has to be concerning for the Donnelly camp. His approval rating a little better than some of these other vulnerable incumbents, but are these troubling no numbers overall when you look at this for Senator Donnelly? They absolutely are. And you mentioned incumbents. When we're looking at this board, these are people who've already served time in office. Incumbency advantage is huge in this country. And so when you say, like, oh, 41% approve, 41% percent isn't going to win you the election. Incumbency advantage maybe not so much of an advantage in this <laughs> particular environment, right, where there seems to be sort of an anti-incumbent wave, whatever party you're talking there about. There is an outsider wave, a right. populist wave, and so an incumbent is, is at a disadvantage in some circumstances. We'll see how that affects uh, the race for Senate this year. We're back with this week's winners and losers right after this. All right, time to wrap it up with this week's winners and losers. Lori, you're up first. So my winner is the Miss America competition. They cut out the swimsuit element, and I think for a competition that's trying to be more modern, that's a huge step in the right direction. My loser is the theme of depression. It's obviously really important and something we need to have a national conversation about. A couple of very noteworthy suicides this week in the news. Mike. Well, Tony's not here this week, so I'm going to play his role for two seconds. Uh, my winner is Donald Trump for actually getting the North Koreans to the table, as I said earlier. And my loser is Donald Trump for going on uh, to the White House press corps today and saying he has the authority to part himself, even though there's been no collusion. And it just reminds me of Richard Nixon saying, I'm not a crook. I'm not a crook. Elise. I got to say, I think losers are the uh, American working people who are probably a little bit nervous about uh, the tariffs and the implications that they could have. And I, uh, I got to say, the winners, uh, holding it down for the young Democrats uh, of Indiana who made national news about the bid that they're in the finals for to bring the national convention here to Indy for the first time in 2019. All right, we'll see what happens. Tim. I want to echo what Laura said about people struggling with depression. If you are struggling, reach out for help. Uh, if you have a family member, make sure that you're reaching out to help them. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus.